I want to start today's episode with a quick shout out. Oh. Yeah, shout out for this guy right here. This okay. is not a sponsored segment, and I know this contraption looks very strange. But I've been relying on this thing. I love this thing. I've been using multiple generations of it. It's called the Hypervolt. This is the plus. I don't know. The box showed up. And uh, uh, they keep upgrading it with new features. It has pressure sensitivity now. You're wondering what it is. And this is a, a massage tool for the sorest of muscles for an athlete like myself. Right. Uh, you, might, you, you might see me sitting here at this table and saying, oh, this guy doesn't get out much. He's not... There's no activity happening with him. Look at him. Well, the truth is, even though I can't play hockey in the men's league right now because, you know, the lockdown and all this, mm -hmm. I still, I'm doing things. I get on the bike here and there. I play basketball outside. Will, do you need to know the regiment? But every so often, you pull a thing, you, you, you know, you get a bit sore. And this guy with the multiple attachments, you go in there, you dig into the muscle. Can anyway, not a sponsored segment. Here? They just they just sent me the, these things once upon a time, and I've been using them. And uh, and to be honest, I just wanted to share that. Okay, so check oh, them out. Sure. Hypervolt. That's the new plus model. They're a little bit pricey, but I can attest to the durability. I've been using these things for well years now. Anyway, shout out. We got a new ultra. There's a new ultra in town. Jeez, did I wake up? I was up at seven a.m. Oh, yeah, so, I feel it. Yeah, a couple coffees later. Energy right there. Yeah, I was up at 7 a.m. Because I got the dog, now I'm throwing the thing. Yeah. There's a new Ultra in town. Mm -hmm. And it's not made What's by that? Samsung. It's not okay. made by Samsung. Because you thought only Samsung could do the Ultra thing. No. They can. Anyone can use the word Ultra. There's no trademark on Ultra. You want to have an Ultra? I'll have an Ultra too. Hmm. Sounds delicious. Is it a food item? Yeah, I'll take a Big Mac Ultra. Okay. And uh, Xiaomi is uh, apparently putting out this Mi 10 Ultra, which is going to aim at crushing the Samsung Galaxy Note 20 Ultra in camera performance. Mm. I mean, I don't know if I, if that's going to happen. That's the rumor. Now you scroll down, you see the, the little teaser image here, and you see a 120X on the zoom lens. That's a little bit of reach there. Mm. And uh, presumably... The, the, the marketing angle here is the biggest we, we've seen from Samsung, I guess, was the 100X. What did they call it on the, on the S20 Ultra? They called it the, what was their Zoom? They had a word for it. Not Ultra Zoom. That would have made sense. Crazy Zoom. Super Zoom. Amazing Zoom. The best Zoom. Super Ultra. Zoom? 100 times Zoom? They had a name for it, a marketing term. People are shouting in the comments right now. How dare you? I don't remember what it was. Space Zoom. See it right there in quotations. Oh. Space Zoom. Of course, uh, how dare you not remember that, Lou? Of course it's Space Zoom. You're going to zoom into space. How do we not know that? Yeah. Anyway, so uh, they, they're aiming at that. You want to do better than 100x, especially if you're using the word ultra. And so you put this in the pipeline. You say, why don't we do 120x now? It's important to note, though, Will, even if you're coming after the Ultra, it's important to note that that 100x zoom wasn't really received all that well. People, were, people beyond a certain zoom range were like, well, we're just cropping in now. Mm -hmm. We're just cropping in. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's uh, get real here with your space zoom. Mm. And people are saying now with the latest Note series, I don't even remember what that one has, like 50, but 
up to about 30, it feels useful, up to about 30x is what the suggestion is. Once you get up into these mega crops, you need massive sensors. Mm -hmm. So the sensor plays a big role once you start cropping in because the optical zoom only takes you so far mm -hmm. with any of these designs. Uh, the phone's lens has a maximum zoom, 120x, with 4x optical. So that's a lot of digital. Mm. 4x optical. Hmm. Okay. I don't know if you're folding any. I don't know if there's any uh, periscope lenses in there. Mm. 4x optical, 120x total, cropping and blowing up the image. You're going to need a massive sensor in there. Does it say which one it will have? No, because we're still super early. In terms of specs, though, expect, spec, expect. Snapdragon 865, perhaps even the new 865 Plus, if Xiaomi is willing to shell out for the ultimate performance. This is coming via Tom's guide, by the way. Combined with 16 gigs of RAM and 256 gigs of storage, based on benchmark results, believed to be for this phone. Does that get you going, Will? Yeah. I mean, the more uh, pictures I can take with Otis in high fidelity. Oh, then, wow. Wow. Yeah. Do you have to zoom in, though, or isn't he always at your side anyway? No, no. He, he's far away. Sometimes he gets away from you. Yeah, so maybe they could use one of these massive 108 megapixel sensors on that camera. I, I don't know if that's going to happen, but... Once you start talking about this level of digital zoom, I sure hope you got some pixels to work with. Mm -hmm. uh, keep in mind the Mi 10 Pro has a 30 watt charge speed, 6.6 inch AMOLED, 90 hertz refresh rate. So that's going to have to go up if they're going to keep up with the other ultras of the world. Mm. Uh, Samsung's ultra handsets, 45 watt maximum charging, 6.9 inch AMOLED, 120 hertz refresh. So... This Mi 10 Ultra, it's got some work to do. Yeah. If it's going to challenge challenge the original Ultras. I don't know if those are the original Ultras. But isn't it interesting with the marketing terms? Sure. Once one person says Ultra, like Plus. It was Plus for a while and everything yeah. was Plus. Pro. 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 My oh, God geez. with the Pro. Yeah. Everything's Pro. I mean, the cable, the video I just put on Unbox Therapy, Apple's luxury 129 Thunderbolt cable, I was... Uh, excited to find on there the pro designation all over it. Mm. So you'll see when I flip the box in big letters, bigger than the Thunderbolt letters, pro. They want to remind you. Look at that pro right there. You see that, Will? Mm. When you're a pro, you want to be called a pro. Am I a pro? I just bought the thing. It says pro. I feel like a pro. Yeah. It's an amazing way to buy yourself into a profession. 129 and you're a pro? I'll take it. <laughs> You tell people, I got the pro cable, hire me for the job. The pro cable, mm. pro computer, pewter. The pewter. I got the pro monitor, pro XDR. Yeah. I got the iPhone 11 Pro Max. Uh -huh. I think I'm doing pretty well for myself. Yeah. I'm a professional and uh, I expect to be paid like a professional. Mm -hmm. So the that pro. cable there pays for itself. I have to keep the box to remind myself, though, that it's a pro. Frame it. Yeah, because I'll be using the the uh, remaining cash reserves to dry my tears after splurging on such a ca uh, cable. But you're a pro now, so it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I'll make it back. I'm a pro now. 
Samsung researchers caught leaking valuable OLED tech to China charged by South Korean authorities. Yeesh. So, the tech cold war ain't so cold, it's heating up. Yeah, it's getting hot. The cold war, almost a hot war. There's bacon in there. Actually, you know what? We don't want to say that because I, I believe, now I could be wrong, but a hot war is a real war. That's an actual war. Mm-hmm. A cold war is kind of these covert ops. So it's definitely cold. But it's just, it's coming from every angle now. Whether you're in the US, India, South Korea, this is the South Korean version of it. You know Samsung has been dominant in this space. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, geez, who's complaining if they get a Samsung OLED display? Nobody. We say, all right, looks great. Although I had some interesting findings in my Note 20 video, which mm. the people can go check out. They see, I, I, I peaked, I pixel peeped. And I was a bit surprised what I found. So, little teaser right there. No spoiler. Go check out that video. It's comprehensive. Grab the popcorn if you have to. As they say in the community. It's part of the culture. Grab the popcorn. Certain timestamp, grab the popcorn. Yeah. I didn't invent it. I didn't invent it. So, a couple of guys, maybe they're girls. They actually didn't release any information about these people that are being charged other than their ages, 46 years old and 37 year, year, years old. Previous employees, presumably from Samsung, they leaked some proprietary information to uh, the Chinese firms that are capable, assume, I'm assuming, capable of reproducing uh, this technology, OLED displays. I mean, it's been, well, it's been a huge topic of conversation the fact that the, uh, many of the Chinese OLED manufacturers haven't hit the the quality level or the consistency level is probably better. The, the failure rate that a customer like Apple would be looking for. Mm. We talked about it a bunch with BOE and even LG and even other uh, South Korean manufacturers. So you would assume when something's really hard to do like this, there might be some proprietary secrets in there. Mm-hmm whatever these techniques might be. So apparently, Samsung is using some kind of new inkjet method for OLED production. I want you to imagine in your mind what that might look like. Inkjet? I love it. Just printing out OLED. Yeah, yeah. I just like the visual. I mean, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But it it uh, seems tantalizing to a tech fan. Yeah. I always thought uh, growing OLED Grow is like a thing. It's a thing. It's like a organic material or something like that. Organic light emitting diode. Yeah. Will that's why do. it's so hard to create it. Will he do? But yeah. Will he do? Really I believe cool. the materials in it are organically grown, but the actual unit itself is manufactured. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh so these guys go and apparently share this information and then uh, Samsung says, "Hey, we spent a fortune developing this production method and in two seconds you share it jeez guys jeez guys jeez louise yeah jeez louise they're in the suits and they're in the big office building down in south korea they pick up the phone they go jeez it's like why you do that the guy's like i don't understand what you're saying i thought we're a korean company why are you saying jeez yeah i mean the guy on the other end, he's like, well, I was watching Lou later, and they suggested I say geez. So I thought it was a good idea. Anyway, Samsung reportedly invested approximately $8.5 million over the last three years developing the inkjet printing specification 
as this is possibly the only way in which the Korean giant can remain competitive in the wake of increasing competition. So it's a couple of things, isn't it? It's not just quality and uh, a low failure rate. It's also a method that's fast enough, reliable enough that you can meet these in, in increasing orders from Apple and others. You can do it at a timely fashion when they need the parts. And that's mm. been another issue with some of the other suppliers mm. that they couldn't just ramp it up to meet the requirement. Um, so they're going to, they're looking for these dudes for the time being. Uh, the third person happens to be a director of a display equipment manufacturer that Samsung partnered with in the past. You see, it's a fair exhibit. This is valuable information. Mm. You just start working with them. All of a sudden, you have access to a couple of folders, a couple of files in those folders. Start saying, hmm, this might be valuable stuff right here. Mm -hmm. So they are currently only being charged with failure to protect sensitive technology from reaching the wrong hands. And so this wouldn't be a huge punishment, but if it's full-on corporate espionage, mm -hmm. then uh, you can expect the gavel to drop. The full extent of the law. Well, I like that. Yeah, I like that. Is that what it's called? A gavel, by the way? The Gavel, yeah. Did I nail that? Yep. I don't know. <laughs> Kanye West makes it on the show today, and it's not your typical Kanye West story. There's a tech twist, which is the reason it's reported on 9to5Mac. He's uh, Somebody connected to Kanye is actually blaming the iPhone for the delayed submission of the campaign ballot in Wisconsin. So for those that are un unaware, Kanye West sort of running for president. He's a, he's a bit late to the party. It's It would be uh, pr fairly obvious at this point that kind of uh, int uh, introduced himself to the process at a later date than the other mm -hmm. competitors. That's pretty clear. And so it's meant these kind of unusual tactics in order to uh, get on these ballots in as many places as possible, including gathering signatures and petitions and uh, and meeting deadlines. Mm -hmm. Deadlines are a big deal in politics. Well, yeah, you, you want to be in a campaign, you got to meet the deadline. Well, anyways, he wanted to get on this Wisconsin ballot and the people he was working with, they, they, they brought this through. They brought this 23-page uh, document. Oh, I apologize. The 23-page document filed Monday says State Elections Commission staffer told a West campaign aide that she turned in the nomination papers 14 seconds after the deadline. 14 seconds? How tight are these guys? Yeah. Why do you have to wait till the last minute? Like, this is okay. Two, two sides. Very important to so two sides. I understand there's rules. But also, even if you're waiting till the last second, Will... Who are these people that are like, you're 14 seconds late? Imagine. Yeah, those people too. Yeah, they're sitting there in the municipal offices in Milwaukee. Yeah. They're looking at their watch. The person comes in and they go, 14 seconds. Yeah. It's you're a, done. It, you're done, bud. You're out. So it's really amusing from that yeah. standpoint. I don't know this whole politics thing. It's what a show it all is. It's such a show. Uh -huh. It's uh, entertainment for the masses, obviously. Uh, Trump's got a few, uh, a few followers. I don't know if he has more followers that love him or hate him, and I don't think he cares. Hmm. It's just an enormous number of people who care about what he says. I don't, I don't know if it matters. Everybody's spreading the message no matter which way they feel about it.
Yeah, he's trending most of the time. It's on yeah. Twitter. So it's, it's exactly anything that he says. It, exactly because you get both sides. Every time you say anything, you get the lovers and the haters. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's social media in 2020. Mm-hmm. You might people might be surprised. They might think that they're actually that their hatred is in some way detracting when it's actually propelling the message or at least sending it further. It's it's a your uh, outrage is a sort of like a republishing of the original thing. Mm-hmm. You're you're a distribution node in the message. Mm. You know a what I mean? Node. You're a node. That's all you are. You're you're just doing the thing that's expected of you. And people figure out these techniques based on what works. Man, outrage. It works mm-hmm. based on the amount of time I've been in this thing. Anyway, okay, so here's the the iPhone part. Curran dismisses a video and tweet by WISN-TV, Channel 12, reporter, that Ruland and her assistant entered the building 18 seconds after 5 p.m. Curran also challenged a video by a Democratic Party staffer that suggested they arrived about 20 seconds after the deadline. The video, Curran said, used an iPhone clock to track Ruland's entrance. Curran said such clocks are notoriously faulty. So they're having a dispute right now, the various politicians whether or not this should be allowed and the timer that's being used as the evidence that the submission was late was an iphone timer and they're disputing the accuracy of an iphone timer so it's not specifically kanye's iphone they're saying iphones are not accurate in keeping time Mm -hmm. so that's how you end up on nine to five mac you just have con you have kanye west and you have iphone and you're on nine to five mac if you ever want to get on nine to five mac just put those two things together i remember there was one story where he was holding his iphone upside down in a photo and people were like oh he's got that next iphone already no notch (laughs) because he was just holding it upside down so people pay attention they're watching very closely we'll see what happens with the politics in the meantime uh, we can be certain that even though the iphone timer according to kanye's people is notoriously faulty he still chooses to have an iphone in his pocket based on every time you see him holding a phone in and uh, recently, I saw him carrying a neon-colored case as he arrived in Miami. So oh. he appears to not only enjoy iPhones, but also very brightly colored cases for iPhones. Google Pixel 5's chipset may be barely better than the Pixel 4a. The Google Pixel 5 is expected to be Google's top-end smartphone this year, but it seems it might not have the processing power of other premium smartphones. In fact... It could only be a small step above the recently launched budget Google Pixel 4a. The news comes from a leaked Pixel benchmark discovered by MyFixGuide, this published on TechRadar, which lists the phone as having the Snapdragon 765G chipset. Google has been releasing premium smartphones with premium price tags and 800 series Snapdragon chipsets for a while now. Mm Mm-hmm. Last year, I believe, was probably the most expensive they've done. This year is a different story. It has been a different story. We had this huge delay with the 4A. You're looking at the prices. Yeah, it was expensive. We saw what happened with the 4A. We see what's happening. Global landscape, Android, smartphones in general. Interest in more affordability. Interest in more value for money. This is just a, this could be anything. What we're reading here could be anything. But I'm going to just say something. I don't mind it. Go ahead. 
That was well-timed. I don't mind it. If you don't mind, I don't mind. Like a lower budget phone? You know what? I meant it more like this. If you don't mind, I don't mind. Oh, right. right. You see how I meant that? that. Yeah, I put it there. I put it in there. I want to see what you did with that. If you don't mind, I don't mind. A 765G in their flagship, so it's going to be a bit bigger. Maybe 5G. 765G, a little bit more powerful than the 4A. Mm -hmm. Presumably, major cost savings. That's the key. Yes. You get that price right, I think people can look past not having the flagship chip, and it, it just gets my wheels turning about what people actually want. I'm truly curious about what people actually want. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to have an honest moment here. In this world, in the business we're in, you get to use whatever smartphone you want. You just reach, and then there's a smartphone. It messes you up with your evaluation of what actually matters hmm. to a smartphone buyer because you're used to, you bounce around. And anybody in this game should be saying that because it's true. And we come in here and kind of contrast everything against flagship phones because it's what we mostly use. Mm-hmm. And sure, every so often there will be like a two-week experiment where you use the cheaper device and get a sense for it. But mostly, it's the high end, year-round, something close to it. And so there's an immediate feeling of, oh, why would you do that, Google? I want to use this phone, and I now have to put it up against some 800 series device. could be this 8 Pro. It could be the Samsung, the new Note. It could be, well, it could just be an S20. Yes. And you're going to sit there and say, well, I want the faster process. I can't use it now because that's going to be a hard justification. Yeah. It kind of messes with, with your head. Yeah, mess Just with your knowing head. knowing that it's not top-of-the-line specs, uh, barely going to use it. Especially when the top-of-the-line specs are just sitting there, which makes us weird. Right. Yeah. It makes us weird and in some ways, honest moment, not the right person to tell you what the value is. Even though we get our hands on everything, it's really more important what's in our pockets. And it's a regular uh, citizen. I'm not saying we're not regular citizens, but I mean a person who doesn't live in this space or do this for work, make making published videos about all these phones, is going to pick the phone, then have it in their pocket, and then whether they like it or not, is not going to constantly be contrasted against the top tier thing that's sitting also on their shelf. Right. There's a conscious decision in what they actually purchase, right? And actually use. Instead of just having like an array of phones and then just picking like exactly. And, and just it's this it's one. it's a thing where when you see two things side by side, you say, Oh, mine is trash. Hmm. But in isolation, it does everything you want and it's easier for you to notice what it actually does and doesn't do for you in isolation without access to the other devices. Yes. So the real review that nobody is capable of doing in this game because of how it's set up, the real review is use the thing for a year in the absence of any other devices and then come back to me a year later and let me know how that went. Hmm. Who can do that? Mm -hmm. You can't publish videos. You can't have a business. So you'll see people, they go back and do some sort of a re-review. They'll be like, it's three months now. I mean, But it's, it still doesn't matter because they got all these other phones staring in their face mm -hmm. and their business is constantly bringing in more of these devices mm -hmm. unlike the way a regular person 
uh, consumer typically operates. So it's sometimes disingenuous for us to act like we're the best people all the time to tell you what you need. And as much as I want to see the 800 series Pixel exist in the form of the Pixel 5 and maybe not see the Pixel become strictly budget-oriented, this might mean more people get their hands on it. This might mean more people can afford it. So who am I? And maybe even me, I will be just fine with the 765G and live my life and not see a huge degradation of a performance in my day-to-day. I'm not even playing that many games, doing things that can really stress it out. So where I'm going with this is that this may be the best decision for Pixel to be budget-oriented, mindful, to bring in as many users as possible, to get their software out there to as many users as possible, and to not be cost-prohibitive in any of their lineup. And, And even though for me personally... It's not what I want. I can see why for the marketplace and for the average person, this could be the right thing to do Mm -hmm. if that price point matches or lines up where I think it should. If you have a bigger version of the 4A, slightly different specs, bigger battery, 765G, the same pixel camera. uh, Vanilla Android. Vanilla Android and a decent amount of RAM and the right price. Yeah. That could be a beautiful thing. Yeah, I agree. Just putting that out there. Tim Cook is now a billionaire. That's a Billy. And uh, well, The Verge wants to say that he's he's much different from the other billionaires, mm. the t- other tech billionaires, because he didn't found the company. I see. He's not a founder. That sounds so weird to say he didn't found the company. He didn't f- yeah. Well, that's weird. He's not a founder of Apple. He came along later. Of course, he was... He was a big part of the company's success, even when Steve Jobs was there. He was like a supply chain? Yeah, responsible for supply that's chain. right. That's right. Getting the cost down, getting the quality up, uh, real tight on the deliveries and schedules and mm-hmm. quality control, you know, assembly line stuff. Yep. And so what's important to know with him, well, people might be surprised to find out that he's just a billionaire now. And so much of it with these guys, CEOs, tech CEOs, a lot of it has to do, they're tied up in the stock price. Because when you're talking about net worth, it's not like it's sitting in a bank account vast majority of the time. It's tied up in the performance of the company. And this is good business for the company because then there's tremendous incentive to, for the company to do well under your leadership because your personal net worth stands to increase substantially if the company continues to do well. So you actually want your CEO to be invested in the company. Mm-hmm. Apple's share price has been, well, you're well aware, you talk about it every day, has uh, been doing well. And particularly if you look in the longer, maybe six-month period, year to date, even better. I mean, it's been on a pretty constant trend upwards. And we're sitting here at the moment of filming this at 446.96 USD and close to a $2 trillion uh, market figure for the company as a whole. So what does that mean for him? It means his net worth with that share count that he has now crosses that billion-dollar mark for the first time Hmm. because we're looking at a sort of 
record figures for the stock. Hmm. Interesting. I, I thought he was a billionaire. See, that's what I mean. I think some people may have thought that. Yeah. But he came along later. So yeah. here's the thing, Will. Even though you get all these opportunities, if you're a CEO of a company like that, to increase your ownership of the company as you've been a part of it along the way, it's hard to ever accumulate the amount of the company that a founder would have. Right. Like Bezos. I mean, I guess because of stock options. Yeah, you have to buy back into the company, essentially. Yeah. You have to buy into it at a later date when the valuation's already high. So if we take Bezos as an example, he gets divorced, gives up a bunch of shares, and still owns a ridiculous number of shares of Amazon because he determines from the get-go how many shares he'll make available to anyone else mm -hmm. and how many will belong to him. Elon Musk would be similar. Found, for any founder, mm -hmm. for that matter, would, would be in control of the availability of shares from the jump and the percentage of shares that they own. Mm -hmm. So I would say it's actually impressive for Cook to get there not having founded the company. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. But Bezos is $187 billion. So when, if you're trying to figure out that's insane after he gave up how much he gave up like 40 billion yeah somewhere around in there. the divorce it's insane i mean amazon still has room to go in my opinion as well but just to to do the adjustment here to try to figure out scale bezos 187 billion personal net worth not amazon tim cook 1 billion so when you put them on the panel in congress it's important to recognize that discrepancy. Mm -hmm. uh, Pachai would be similar. Hmm. You had uh, Pachai and Cook who came along later, yeah. and then you had uh, Bezos and, and Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg who are, it's another level. What's Zuckerberg? A 102 billion. Yeah. It's another level to have those guys on camera when they're just sitting on those piles. Mm -hmm. You see what I mean, Will? I mean, that's a different lifestyle. It's a di I'm just saying it's a different lifestyle. Oh, yeah. uh, Bezos just sold $3 billion in stock, right? Was that right? Do I have that figure correct? That sounds really high, but let's get that figure because I did a clip on it recently. I think it was $3 billion. $3 billion in stock. Starting on Monday. This, this past Monday? Was it yesterday? No. I think it was last week. Anyways, yeah, six days ago. Last week... He cashes out $3 billion in stock. Just like a ca just another Monday. Yeah. So let's just get that in, in mind, the difference here. But nonetheless, Tim Cook has been doing work with Apple, and he's been posting numbers, and he's getting rewarded for it. So uh, shout out Tim Cook, even though you'll never send me uh, an iPhone ever. Actually, there's a new marketing guy at Apple. He's going to send, send send us iPhones oh, pre-launch. Yeah? Okay. yeah, that's right. I got faith. It's about time we turn the thing around. New marketing guy. All right. Phil Schiller's out. The new guy. New age. New era. We start from scratch. We start fresh on Unbox Therapy. Great. Uh, Tim knows. Tim knows we're going to sort it out. He's got a billion now. What does he care? <laughs> yeah. TikTok has announced the first wave of creators set to receive payments for their videos. TikTok said they're going to spend $200 million at first. They want to scale it to a billion mm -hmm. to pay creators. They got David Dobrik on this initial list. Brittany Tomlinson, Cheyenne Jazz Wise, 
few others are listed here. So, uh, somewhat surprisingly, I'm not seeing what I know to be the TikTok big names, the dancing types. I, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe some of those are. Hmm. I'll just round it out. Uh, Justice Alexander, Michael Lee, Marissa Wren, and Ross Smith. So they come from a variety of backgrounds here. One of them, an emergency medicine doctor, Dr. Fayez. So maybe they just wanted to have some type of uh, variety here. But they do have requirements in order to apply for this initiative. Now, I would doubt that these people listed here would be going out of their way to apply for this. I would assume they'd be approached to be part of the first group. Kind of like a TikTok partner. Yeah, they would catch an email like, hey, we're rolling out this fund. We want to get some names on it. We want to have some commitments. Maybe there's some paperwork. You're going to keep posting here, right? We're kind of under fire right now. We're kind of getting pressure right now. David Dobrik, you're going to keep posting, right? Yeah, stay on our platform. Please. That's what the email says. And uh, and then in the future, they're going to have people apply for it. You have to be 18 years or older, meet a baseline of 10K followers, have at least 10K video views in the last 30 days, and post, post original content that doesn't violate the company's community guidelines. So, I mean, you have to have, you have to hit certain criteria that most people wouldn't have. And even at that point, then you apply. So who knows? They could look at your content and say you're a good fit, not a good fit. A billion dollars is a billion dollars, though, Will. Mm -hmm. And it's quite a bit of money to upstart creators when you start distributing across the platform. TikTok has been increasingly trying to appear to be more American in the face of everything that's going on with yes. the ByteDance criticism, Donald Trump, and all the rest of it. Uh, you recall that they got the American CEO who they, they got from Disney. Yep. Very American guy. Yeah, Kevin Mayer. Super American. Very, very much so. 100% American? Would, would you say? I would say so, yeah. <laughs> Turns out he's not at all. <laughs> it's like, what do you mean? I just got here. He's a spy. Yeah, he's like, I just got here. What are you talking about? Yeah, uh, Who's yeah so anyway, that's the guy. It's also the name of a... Right. It looks like an Olympian almost. Yeah. From France, by the looks of it. Anyway, so they get the American CEO... They got a brand new campus in Los Angeles where they can show how American they are. They put a big American flag at the front. Yeah. <laughs> we are American. Yes. And they plan to hire 10,000 people in the United States. Everybody likes jobs. Mm. So, well, we'll see. The plan might be on hold, waiting to see what happens with right. this 45-day ban. That may never take place, depending on if there's a sale and, and all the rest of it. But... This is one way in the short term to throw a few dollars around and appear like you're here to stay. Mm -hmm. Of course, Microsoft could save the day. They could keep TikTok around for a long time if they can cut a deal that works for all the parties involved. Themselves, ByteDance, the government, all the rest of it. Yeah. The government's probably the hardest to work with at this point because, well, like I said, there's not much leverage on this ByteDance side. It just expires and they're gone. If the deadline expires. However, some people at Microsoft not so happy. Some employees at Microsoft uh, supposedly, reportedly, say this is a step backwards. We don't want anything to do with TikTok. It's a poison challenge. Yeah, it's a poison challenge. Oh. You nailed it from the last episode. Well, you know Bill Gates said it, so you know there had to be some sentiment. And you know there would have to be an opinion, right? You work at Microsoft, you're doing okay. You got stuff coming out. 
You're worth more than a trillion dollars. You're still Microsoft. I mean, maybe the glory days are not what, you know. But you got the, look, you got the, you just made the deals with Android. You got these uh, Duo Neo devices. You gave up on the Windows phone. Maybe you make a, you're making a play there. You got the Xbox coming out. Mm-hmm. You got all the cloud stuff you're doing. Uh, you're Microsoft. What do you got, Teams? You got LinkedIn. I used to got the OS and all those products. So you're doing all right. Do you need TikTok? Do you need a play in social, which is such a messy, it's very messy, social. Messy and like I said to you, sort of volatile, at least with new social startups. You're not really sure the the true monetization potential. It's not like selling a product. Yeah. It's, we're cool right now. Do we stay cool forever? I don't really know. I don't know. What about you? What is our user base? What about daily actives? It's mm-hmm. whole different business, different business. So some people internally, employees, they they got this little Yammer group going. I don't know about Yammer. I guess it's a place where you talk about workplace stuff privately, I'm assuming anonymously. Okay, yeah. I'm just guessing. Yammer. And so they got some little group in there called CEO Connection, and it allows Microsoft employees to ask CEO Satya Nadella questions and discuss topics that are relevant to Microsoft. Okay, maybe it's not anonymous, but there are polls that are set up in there. There was a poll saying, should Microsoft buy TikTok? And then this poll got leaked, I believe, to Business Insider. Should Microsoft buy TikTok? Voted on by Microsoft employees. 63% said no. 18% said not sure. And then only 18% said yes. Pretty low approval on that front. Mm. And I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just a demographic thing where it doesn't line up with the ideals of the group of people that are a typical, that would fit the typical Microsoft employee kind of picture. Mm-hmm. Could be, or it could be people don't like the product, or it could be some of the messiness that I just suggested right. with getting involved in the social media business, or it could be some of the potential mess, messiness or perceived messiness of getting involved with the U.S. government to make the deal happen, mm-hmm. and whether any, whether or not anybody would ever be happy with it. Right. Or if even TikTok users would say, that's a Microsoft brand now. I'm, you, see, you see where I'm going here? Yeah, I would. I would agree with it. Seems risky. Yeah. Seems risky from a number of uh, standpoints. Now, it's important to note that the poll was only around 250 people. And there's 150,000 people that work for Microsoft. So it's not necessarily indicative of the whole group of people, but it gives you some sort of idea of the sentiment internally. And uh, it's cool to hear from those other, like from those inside, as opposed Mm -hmm. to the reports that are always on the outside. It's all speculation. This is less speculative. This is, okay, these are complicated conversations. For sure, if the CEO answers questions in that that particular group, he's looking at it, thinking about it, and these concerns are probably going to get elevated and they're going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. What happens to the morale within the company? Do people think we screwed up? I mean, you want to have the right morale. You want to have the right agenda that everybody sort of belongs to and agrees with. It all matters within the culture of a workplace. Absolutely. I mean, imagine you and I sitting here determining if we should buy TikTok or not. You'd be looking at me saying, Lou, you don't, we can't be running this thing. Yeah, you're crazy. You're nuts. Yeah, we're a couple guys. We're uh, sitting here. We're chatting. Yeah. We're having a time. Otis has the, you know, his favorite ball. He's chewing on his favorite ball. You say, Lou, do you want all these problems? TikTok. Donald Trump, you got to negotiate with? You're going to have to, you're going to go take a loan and we just got these profits going and. And we got to pay the treasury. And we got to pay the treasury a chunk. 
you, you that might be more what the conversations look like internally. Yeah, it's a tough call. It's a tough call. Potential deal to buy TikTok value between 25 billion, 40 billion. So those numbers keep moving around a, a little bit, but it ain't no joke. That's a serious, that's a couple of lunches, as I like to say. Mm. It's a couple of lunches. Did you know that 90% of all uploaded YouTube videos will never reach 1,000 views? Would you have guessed this? Would you have thought, prior to seeing that headline, would you have thought that was the case? Or yeah. Would, yeah, I would say so. You would, wouldn't you? There's because, a lot of people creating content. Yeah. You know? That's because you exist on YouTube. You work in oh, YouTube. yeah. If you're an outsider, you might be surprised to see this mm -hmm. because I think a lot of people have this impression that you upload something to YouTube and people will see it. Yeah. And the truth is, it's not. No, they won't. And plus, when you see the home feed, there's like thousands of views, you know, of successful videos. You don't see the ones that have like one view or 10. Never. No. Never. You're right. And it makes sense. It, I mean, it makes sense. If you... If it's an upstart YouTube channel, it's going to be a really risky recommendation mm -hmm. for the recommendation engine. They don't know. There's not a track record for that channel. That channel uh, presumably is new to the platform. It's got to take some time. I mean, something that we've learned being in this business, consistency is huge. You got to be consistent. You got to be reliable. They got to expect, okay, you, you know, I'm going to get content over here. Yeah. And I'm going to sort of know roughly what it's going to be. And that's going to be a healthy relationship. And it's inherently more risky for YouTube to be recommending content without the track record associated with it. And to build a fan base. To build a fan base. Yeah. And, and to figure out where it's going to make its investments. Because the recommendation engine ultimately is about business. And if it's about business, then YouTube has some sort of a responsibility to reward those business partnerships that continue to fulfill the task of selling advertising. In other words, continue to bring viewers to that to, to their website. Mm -hmm. And so if YouTube had some sort of uh, more generalized rules around this, around the way this algorithm operates for suggestions, the trouble might become that nobody, and would almost be like early days YouTube, if there wasn't enough revenue to be generated in exchange for consistency, in exchange for cons uh, consistently delivering an audience, then no one would take it seriously. Guys like us couldn't justify sitting down all the time right? because the views wouldn't be available and therefore it would be a lot more like it was in the early days. See, what's unique about YouTube is it's allowed people like ourselves to create businesses on the platform, mm -hmm. the way that the thing works. And the fact that there's a healthy business underneath the content allows for you to approach content in a more professional manner than you would otherwise be able to justify. Mm -hmm. And so you can imagine if it was just across the board, everything got suggested at the same rate, it would all be garbage. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to get at here. It would all be... Imagine it would be somebody's soccer video, it would, you know, they're just in the backyard. It would be somebody throwing a ball to their dog like yeah. I was doing this morning. It would be, now that would be fun. Don't get me wrong, but that's a different website in 2020. Right, yeah. It's that, not the Wild West anymore. No, that's a different website. Yeah. You can go start it if you want, but you see what people do without algorithms. What It's more like, uh, what is that thing where people are on a site and it's just people's webcams and they just scroll through it and you'd have no idea which webcam you're going to see. Omegle. 
Omegle, Omegle. Omegle. Yeah, yeah it, it's like, it's just madness. It's just chaos without a more sophisticated suggestion algorithm that sort of knows you and what you want and knows what's worked in the past and, and all the rest of it and, and provides you with, provides everyone involved, the viewer, the content creator with some reasonable things to expect. Mm -hmm. But the consequence of this sophisticated algorithm is it's really hard to start a YouTube channel. It's really, it turns out it's really hard now to find a, a, a base. And YouTube has done a couple of things to try to improve it with like creators on the rise and these types of things, right. but it still is very small. And it's just a consequence like would, would exist for any medium, a consequence of when you got invested in it, when you were publishing and how consistent you remain. So here's some statistics. Uh, you're looking at 90% of videos generate fewer than 1,000 views. And YouTube channels that reach 100,000 views on average account for 0.77% of all content. Hmm. 0.77. So total views by tier, the vast majority are under 1,000. 8% are 1 to 10,000. 10 to 100,000 is 2.8%. And 100,000 to a million is 0.7. 1 million to 10 million is 0.1%. So videos on the platform with between 1 and 10 million is 0.1%. Mm. It's, it's incredibly small, but you have to remember this is a platform receiving a tremendous amount of video content at all times. You're having 5 billion views every single day. 5 billion. Mm -hmm. You're having people upload videos to YouTube just to share with the family, mm -hmm. just to send a link or to store a video on their Google Drive. I mean, we have no idea what the scale of the, all that is, which isn't really even intended to be popular or viewed by a lot of people. Does this include, I guess, uh, private views? No. Or um, unlisted videos? No. Think? No way? Eh? No, this would be listed. This would be listed views because I know unlisted views, if you take a video unlisted, that comes off the public view count. I see. So... Now, uh, you can also, there's another chart down there that showcases how this breaks down per category with music at the top. Music is the most popular segment. You know how music videos stack tremendous views. But uh, you can check it out. Gaming is a little bit surprising in there. You can get a bit more information. But what does this tell you? What can, you, what can we take from this? I will say the same thing I said in the past when people ask me about, oh, how do you become successful on YouTube? This is completely, this is not, this is the best advice I can possibly give for anybody. Uh, it's, 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 it's hard work. It's probably harder work now than it was when I started. And uh, people underestimate how re resilient and consistent you have to be. You have to really keep going after it, even in the face of having one failure after another. Like you have to be kind of addicted to failing. To screwing up. You can't look at the failures and be, and I guess this is advice for life in general. You have to almost crave the failure because the failure exposes good information. Yeah, just embrace it. Yeah, you embrace Respect the failure it. and then you see, well, now I know how to kind of steer based on that. Without failure, you don't uncover the necessary evidence for your in order to support or inform your next action. Mm -hmm. So I would say just embrace all that and but also, I would say, if you feel that that's not what your level of commitment is to the thing, then don't have unrealistic expectations. Publish a thing here and there and be like, why didn't I blow up yet? Hmm. 
there might be other platforms that are better places to do that that are aren't as mature as YouTube, like TikTok, for example, yeah. where maybe there's more blow up factor because it's just a newer platform. Mm-hmm. So there might be a little bit more space there. YouTube's pretty established. It's insane. I've been doing this for 10 years. 10 years. Or, yeah, wow. I mean, maybe even a little bit more. It's, yeah. it's insane. Amazon Music Podcasts are on the way. I got an email about this actually on the Lou Later email address, which people don't even have that. Hmm. People may have forgot they can email you as well, Well, Yeah. I'm going to flood your inbox right now. Right, Will at loulater.com. Just email him. Don't you don't just you don't have to say anything. Just any email. He'd love to see it. Send a picture of your dog. I like to see it. Or don't cat. don't send Will any pictures. Because you know what that's gonna open. Uh, yeah. You're a crazy man. To even Dogs, say the word please. send me picture. To even say. Now they know you're looking, Will. Yeah. You're dead. Anyways, yes, so they hit me up. I think we should they probably want us to put this podcast, the audio format, over there. They're going to make them available supposedly inside of Amazon Music, but also Audible, natively supported on Echo speakers. Uh, Of course, as I mentioned to you when this story first emerged, the majority of listeners to this podcast, the people who don't watch on YouTube, are on uh, Apple Podcasts, followed by Google Podcasts and then Pocket Casts, I believe. And there's just, there's many ways you can listen to this. People don't know that. And I want to give a shout out to the audio listeners because they gave us uh, ratings and reviews on the Apple podcast thing. Mm-hmm. And then and then the podcast does even better. So shout out to anyone who's given a review. And if you go and do a review right now, then it helps us out on the audio side. But anyways, the uh, as I mentioned to you at that moment, I don't know what kind of incentives there's going to be to publish on Amazon Podcasts outside of the typical just reach more people. Spotify began buying podcasts to be exclusive to its platform. Maybe Amazon will try to do the same at some point. There's just so many players in this space. Mm-hmm. It's hard to keep it all together. Uh, does Amazon, is Amazon the right home for podcasts? Can we get used to it? Audible's an interesting one because you listen to audiobooks, which are kind of like podcasts, but it has such a strong brand recognition with audiobooks that it's hard for me to adjust my mentality to go there for a podcast. Mm-hmm. Plus, the other podcast apps from companies like Apple and Google, they come on the phone, right? They're already sitting there ready to go. So it's not even an extra step for you to go out of your way to get another one. I think if Amazon's going to be successful with this thing, I mean really successful, they may have to go the Spotify route to actually get exclusive content where people will say, oh, I'm definitely going to download that app because it has my favorite podcast on it. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just another... Way to catch some audio. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see if they do that. It's a matter of time. They, uh, they're already There's already some controversy. Amazon will incorporate free podcasts into its Amazon Music and Audible products according to a confidential email distributed to show some producers on Monday. Oh, I guess the confidential email I got must have been leaked by somebody. The email, a copy of which was obtained by the desk, said Amazon would soon allow users of Amazon Music and Audible to subscribe, download, and stream free podcasts using each service. Podcasts will be available to customers on Amazon's Music's free tier as well as its premium service. So maybe... Maybe I should read over my confidential email a little bit more, but 
I would guess there might be some kind of revenue share in there because the free tier has ads. Right. And then maybe you get a piece back from it. Although we submit our podcast for free to Spotify. I don't think we get anything from it. No. So. Maybe we have to reach like a certain amount of. I don't know. I don't know about listeners. that. We'll see. We'll see what they end up doing. I'll keep an eye on it for you. But anyway, if you're interested, expect soon that if you are an Apple or Amazon Music user or audible user you might be able to catch your favorite podcast in there sometime soon hmm. uh speaking of amazon they topped 1 million prime subscribers in india record seller participation for their prime day which happened very recently we know amazon wants to invest in india they want to enable local sellers in india they have a tremendous number of local sellers small businesses launched on amazon's platform we've we've spoken about it here in the past they had a 48 hour prime day event and they signed a bunch of people up for prime which is far cheaper in india once again i'm jealous but i understand different economics for different places a prime subscription in india costs 13 dollars and 30 cents a year it's 119 dollars in the u.s of course prime gives you all kinds of benefits outside of the shipping stuff to get you your products faster and all that there's uh, of course prime video and prime music which uh, they can continue to uh, increase their offering there with the various stuff you can watch and listen to. And we were just talking about Amazon Music, for that matter. More than 91,000 small businesses participated in this Prime Day, which is a record for the company. They sold to customers living in 5,900 zip codes, covering 97% of the country. 4,000 of those businesses clocked sales of more than $13,350. That's, that's not nothing. I'll tell you what, that's not nothing. Chinese firms Xiaomi and OnePlus can continue to, to command dominance in the smartphone category. So I was hearing some stuff about how Nord was crushing, OnePlus Nord was crushing on Amazon the most requested or added to cart or there's some specifics around how well it was doing uh, promotion incentive whatever they were on the home page of amazon in india xiaomi i don't need to tell you about they've been crushing in india for a really long time and so it's obvious that uh, prime day would continue that it does go to show you some of the resilience of the chinese brands even in the face of uh, some of the political stuff some of the uh, potential boycotting and things like that. Not yet, not yet. Show me a hot Prime Day deal and I'll grab myself a new smartphone. Mm. Is at least something that took place for some people. Uh, what can I say? Amazon's invested billions of dollars and they're going up against tons of players in, in India, including Walmart's investment in Flipkart, which I believe is their number one competitor for the moment. Prime Day presumably going to help them out. Bezos has been to India and said, look, the next, what was his exact quote? I'm going to screw it up. I, he said something like the next decade belongs to India. Something along those lines. Is it, I don't even know that this quote is in this particular article. But he went there and said nice things about India. And uh, sort of showcasing sort of, sort of showcasing his interest and continued investment in the country. And the fact that he's going to make a lot of money there. Mm -hmm. Let's be honest. It's... Uh, there's a partnership to it. You invest, you expect to make money, and uh, you say positive things about the local climate. Makes a, lot of, makes a lot of sense. This is the Indian century, is what he said. Willie Do was flying there. He was uh, trying to get it in before I went to the next topic. The Indian century. That's even better. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe that quote's even the title of this video. Jeff Bezos says, 
I mean, he said it all the way back in January 15th. I don't think he's been to India in a while, but this is the Indian century. Wow. Makes me want to buy something off, off of Amazon if I'm in India. <laughs> this is my century. Yeah. I want to pick something up. It's all going to be fine. I'll spend all my money right now because it's my century. <laughs> it's hot right now. I mean, if I was to tell you it's Willie Do's century, you'd be out there flaunting out in the streets. You might even have a collar on your shirt. It's Willie Do's century. Yeah. Oh, it is. Dancing. It's about to be your century because you have your own uh, case color coming out. It's so what a, I heard. Yeah. This is a leak. Exciting stuff. This is a leak on this show. Willie Do is about to have a limited edition. And I mean, it's really going to be limited. It's going to be gone when it's gone. Uh, it's about to be Willie Do Century because he's actually going to uh, uh, generate profit on every single... Him personally, Willie Do personally, is going to generate profit once the limited edition case hits. So keep your eyes out for this. That was a little... I didn't expect to do that, that leak right now. So... Keep your eyes out for that because it's about to be Willie Do Century. Yeah. After border clash with China, India to continue strengthening ties with the U.S. and others. So this comes back to the previous article, the Bezos article. Continued investment from U.S. firms in India. What? How does this all shake out, right? You had a huge head start for China with the brands like Xiaomi and all the rest of it. And... They were sort of setting up shop, doing really well, massive market share. Then a lot of things in, in, in the, around the globe started to change, hmm. especially recently. And India was kind of in the center of this tech battle, in my opinion, you know, east-west. Uh, the United States and China, if we're being honest, and where everybody else falls afterwards. And so... You get into this situation where you have to start to side one way or the other with your decisions and approvals. And once the money starts flowing from the U.S. firms, and once the bans start happening with the Chinese firms, well, there's other things that come along with it, right? These are, these are kind of baked in or early stage business-based alliances, which then lead to military alliances. Because what is the military going to do? It's going to protect the inv its own investments, mm -hmm. the investments of its citizens, of its big companies, and all the rest of it. And it just sort of makes sense. It just strengthens ties. The more handshakes and elbow touches, it strengthens ties. So recently, they've been stacking jets on that border region. Mm. And not necessarily increasing tensions, but just saying, hey, we're here. I'm talking on the China side. I'm talking on the on the Indian side. But China's got, they got a military, dude. Yeah. You can quote me on that. Couple of people in China, some equipment. And they've actually, I've been reading about this because it's interesting to me. They've been going back, on for, back and forth on who's got the better jets. They say on the Indian side, they got these French-made jets. They say these things are fast and quick. On the Chinese side, I don't know. I don't remember if they got uh, Russian jets or something like, or, or their own actually Chinese built jets, and they're he a little heavier, hmm. and they have different attributes, and they're kind of taking shots at each other. We got the better jets and all the rest of it. Hmm. But the ultimate move is to say, well, yeah, our jets are all right, but we also got the U.S. and Japan's on our side, or 
yeah. Australia or whatever, and they just casually drop it. They just say, yeah, we're just tight. It's no a big lot deal. Of, uh, chest beating. It's, yeah, it's a game of risk. Well, you roll the dice, mm-hmm. you know, you don't, I'm not going to fight you for a while. You're not going to fight with me. This other guy's our problem over here. Yeah. We just roll the dice, and next thing you know, I'm coming after you. Yeah. It's the like game they, of risk is happening in the out in the real out. world, and it just has massive implications for tech. Because if these alliances are made and they have incentives on the local level, if they have incentives within India for these alliances to take place, then you start to, your regulation starts to open up. Yeah, trade and... and Trade starts to open up and you start to see more of the American brands making the investments that they've already started to make. Because the American brands say to themselves, well, I'm protected too. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is the place to be. And uh, so from a tech perspective... This is the these types of political alliances can help you to forecast what the, what's going to happen in the tech landscape there or could potentially happen. However, all that aside, great products at great prices win. Mm-hmm. And like the last article showcased, no matter whatever extent we're at with these strategic alliances, hot sellers for smartphones on Prime Day. Chinese smartphones. Mm. So, so nothing talks like a great price. Well, mm-hmm. I'll tell you what. Yep. That'll hit talks. you right in the pocket today. Yep. Lucid Motors promises a $100,000 luxury sedan that'll be the, the world's longest range electric vehicle range over 440 miles. Now, we've been talking about range. We've been talking about Lucid Motors. And... First of all, how about this visual right here? That's a great visual. You like that? That's nice. The whole visual, you like it? Yeah. It's a nice composition. It's yeah. clear. It's yeah. crisp. So Will's looking at a... Nice colors. He's looking at a profile view of a Lucid Motors vehicle. And in the background, there's this kind of like little mountain range yeah. with a pinkish hue because it's close to sunset. I think it's the Salt Flats maybe in uh, mm. Utah. Mm-hmm. It, oh, so many cars are photographed here. So many commercials are shot here for the same reason. You see the reflection in the car. Just a beautiful time of day. Mm. And so that's why you're loving it. It's a dark, maybe a dark blue or gray going on in the vehicle. The important part for fans here is that uh, Lucid Motors is taking on Tesla. The Model S has sort of been the flagship for a long time, particularly when it comes to range. Range, still this big characteristic when it comes to a person's decision on uh, buying an electric vehicle. Tesla's Model S has just been sort of the commercially available record holder for a while, 400 plus 402 miles of range. And it's a big big thing with luxury sedans in general, even before electric vehicles, that that they should have a long range, that you Mm -hmm. should be able to cruise in them and not be at the gas station all the time. Well, same thing goes with recharge. You want to go these long, you're going to really enjoy the luxury in there. You want to go on a long trip Mm -hmm. and not worry so much about it. Now, Lucid Air, they put out a video. I actually didn't watch the video yet. Maybe we should do a quick little, a quick little, uh, what, what do you call it, reaction to it. There's a link to the video in the post. Willie Do has to track down the link, and he does. World's longest range electric vehicle. Oh, we got the music. It's all, uh, it's very exciting. They've been working on it for a long time. Oh, God. They see they how they slowed down around 400 because they're like, yeah, you think we're going to stop there? That's the whole video. Oh. Ah. 
That's a bit. What would you say? Anti. Anticlimactic. Yeah. Climactic. How do you finish that word? Climactic yeah. or climatic? Anyway. Climato. <laughs> We've done this before, haven't we? <laughs> Anticlimato. Uh. Anyway, 8, 11, 20. See the new standard. The picture's better than the video, to be honest with you. They claim their 441 mile plus figure is uh, because of this incredible drag coefficient of 0.21. They say it's the industry best, better than Model S, which is 0.23. I assume you still need a really big battery, and that looks like a big car. So they're, they're saying straight out the gate, it's expensive, it's luxurious, awesome drag coefficient. They want to see what Willie Do looks like in the vehicle. It's very easy, Lucid Motors. All you have to do is send him one, and you'll see what he looks like in it. Imagine that. It's also going to do 0 to 60 in 2.5 seconds, so it's no slouch. And something I didn't know, the CEO of the company actually led development on the Model S while he was working for Elon Musk. Uh -huh. So how about that for a little soap opera drama? Mm. He's coming for it. He's got the background. They're set to go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. Let me ask you a question. Whoa. <laughs> Do you Alrighty. think that there's eventually going to be some sort of like EV race? Like racetracks around the world? I just think there is. Is there? Is there a leak? I think there is, but it's very small scale right now, and I'm trying to remember the name of it. Formula E? Type in Formula E race. I believe this is a thing. Yes, Formula E. The FIA Formula E. Single-seater motorsport championship that uses only electric cars. This is what you wanted, right, Will? Or yeah. you, or you want? I was thinking like standard cars. Oh, uh, you want the NASCAR version of, but with electric vehicles because they use stock cars. Well, stock cars. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like I don't know, maybe a Model S with like yeah, versus a Lucid. I know the best we have right now is just the people take them on the track and then post the track time. Right. You're right. That would do well. Enthusiasm in this market is huge. Mm -hmm. So to see the stock cars raced would be, well. Or like trucks. Quite enthralling. Yeah. Cybertruck versus a Bollinger. All right. You got it, Will. That would be cool. Elon listens to the show, so you got it. He's yeah. going to work on it, set it up. He, they've been testing. They were testing that Plaid version because they're trying to beat the, uh, the Taycan. Yeah. And they've been, everyone's flying to Germany to do it because that's where they want to get the track times on the mm -hmm. Nuremberg ring. So it's a whole thing. Let's see it happen. Okay. Will he do? Uh, speaking, by the way, of EVs, and this is the question I thought you were going to ask me. I thought you were going to say, is there, are there too many brands? Is, are we hitting a threshold? I thought that's what you were going to ask me. Well, that's the thing. There's like so many like brands. Why don't they develop some sort of league? Yeah. And just to race? show off. Yeah. Well, but then you're going to get the race car makers that just, Say, yeah, you can buy this car, but it's not really mass market. I don't know how you set up these That's rules. True, yeah. But anyway, uh, Tesla's been, they're down a little bit in Germany. Germany produces, well, a tremendous number of the world's cars. Not necessarily in Germany, but German companies. Mm -hmm. Huge companies there, VW, uh, BMW. Of course, on, under VW, a number of other sub-brands. <clears throat> They've all been racing to get into EVs, right? As you would. That part of the market is growing. And uh, gas cars, not so much. VW had the whole scandal with the diesel thing where the EPA numbers and they had 
Huge scandal. Gave people money back on some of those TDI diesels. The diesel in Europe was a big deal, Will. People loved it for the efficiency, for the long range. A lot of people were driving what was called clean diesel. It turned out it wasn't that clean. Mm. And there was a lot, there was some trickery going on with that. But that group has appears to appears to to some degree be interested in electric vehicles as the next phase, as the next stage. And so they were buying up Teslas. And it's no coincidence that Elon puts the Gigafactory in Berlin because he says, okay, there's going to be a big market here in Europe. Where should I be? Well, all these other automakers are in Germany. Huge opportunity. Germany, we put it in Berlin. I'm sure there were all kinds of incentives and all the rest of it. But the thing is, in the meantime, those giants, the sleeping giants, they woke up. Talking about VW, talking about others. And in, uh, in waking up, they are able to take these sort of massive footprints that they have, dealerships and assembly plants, and rejig them and just hit, them, hit the ground running. Mm -hmm. They have the infrastructure. These are juggernauts. Yeah. And they're awake now. And they've seen what's what Tesla has sort of uh, been able to do. And now they're aiming to do the same. And so that makes Tesla's job harder. And I, I presume when these guys come out and say Tesla's overvalued, I presume this is the kind of stuff they're looking at, saying, wait a sec, yeah, Tesla's doing great, but what happens when all the other automakers are doing EVs? What happens when you have BMW, Daimler, Volkswagen, Renault, Honda, Toyota? What happens when you have everybody else making EVs? Do people still choose Tesla out of the bunch? And so Germany is this kind of little test ground. And it turns out people started choosing other EVs oh. in the last year. So, and there might be other factors to this. Maybe Tesla couldn't get the supply they wanted in Germany. So people had to wait too long. And maybe that's why they put the plant in Berlin. There's other factors, Will. These things are never simple. But just looking at the chart here, Tesla's seven uh, sales over the last seven months... 5,306 in 2020, same period 2019 was 6,816. So that's a small drop-off, but what's, in, what's important is the amount, the share of the EV market that Tesla occupied with the number, which was 18.4%, now all the way down to 87 mm. From almost 20% to less than 10 in a one-year period, gobbled up by the likes of Volkswagen, Renault, and Hyundai, who we talked about. They have a whole new product line coming out we talked about yesterday. Mm. So regardless of what the factors were that were involved in this, it's obvious that customers are okay with looking elsewhere for EVs. Mm -hmm. They say, hey, VW, you, uh, you knew how to make cars. We figured you'll probably know how to do the EVs too. Mm-hmm. And as the technologies become more ubiquitous, people are becoming comfortable with buying electric vehicles in general. Tesla has done a real sort of service almost to the industry to reinvigorate it. Mm -hmm. Because the industry, just with the gas automobiles, wasn't, you know, all that exciting. Now, all the giants have something to work on that people are excited about. And obviously are purchasing and the same thing has the potential to happen here mm -hmm. 
And this doesn't even take into account all the other exclusive EV makers that are set to hit the market 2022, 2023 that we talk about on this show all the time. Yeah. So it's really interesting stuff. And uh, we're going to keep an eye on it. We're going to follow it. Like I said, I think I think Tesla with the Gigafactory in Berlin may show better figures in the future. I don't think it's impossible. There's probably some things they can do to improve their status there and remain competitive. But definitely this article showcases an appetite for EVs that aren't Tesla branded. Mm -hmm. There's a study that came out about the face mask. You know, everybody's wearing a face mask, Will. And, and found out that certain types of face masks are actually worse than no face mask at all. Now, this is a very controversial topic, so take it for what it is. Take it for what you want. But there's all kinds of face masks out there. And the thinking was originally that any type of face covering, covering your face, better always. And uh, it turns out, at least according to this study, and it's just an alternative opinion, that some styles of face masks may actually be doing worse than none at all you hmm. see i just try to rephrase the headline right. i didn't think that would be possible but it turns out that the you know the style that you lift up from below yeah you just it's almost like a well there's a name for it it's uh, they tested 14 different types of face masks the one that comes up from below is called a neck fleece or a gator which is often worn by runners Apparently, these things that you pull up like that, which um, I don't know the material that they're normally made out of, what they can do is the droplets, the moisture droplets that you uh, that come out of your body that would otherwise be large can actually be turned into small droplets, which can hang in the air longer. Mm. Almost like a filter, filtering large droplet into small. And the large droplet, on the other hand, would have dropped straight to the floor because it's too heavy. Mm -hmm. Th these droplets are the dangerous thing. If somebody comes along, they inhale it, and now they've got COVID. Obviously. Interesting. So it kind of sifts the large particles into smaller ones. So they all become small droplets. Huh. That's, the, that's the word based on this particular study. Overall, they found that N95 is the way to go. We already knew this. Regular N95, by the way. Anything with a valve, not recommended. Yeah. Because the valve, a lot of people don't know. Yeah, it's going to help you breathe. But then your whatever you exhale is going back out into the world. So it's not doing anything to curb the you sending potentially dangerous mm -hmm. droplets into the world if you have a valve on there. So they recommend against that. And then another thing that they determined in here was if you hold your mask, whatever material is made out of, up to a light and you see light come through it, it's probably not great because the light coming through would imply that there's room for those droplets yeah. to pass through and potentially be filtered into those smaller droplets when they hit the air. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they're not all created equal. If you want to see more information, you can go look at it. They, the surprising thing to me was they found the regular surgical mask also pretty good. The number one over here? Number one. The cheapo, like you're, you're able to get these now. They've it's like a rectangular kind of shape and it's blue. Yeah, the, the yeah, super one. common one, they, uh, they found it's pretty good. And actually in most cases for most people performs pretty similarly to the N95, which is tougher to come by. Mm. And you you actually see less rarely because 
well, it's really intended for medical professionals and things like this. So the disposable one is actually pretty good. Uh, look through your mask and uh, hold it up to the light and I guess avoid the neck fleece type or anything made of fleece. Mm -hmm. You may want to pick some other material, but it's a curious thought because you have all these, there's so many upstarts, all the designer masks. I think Kirk was wearing an Adidas mask yeah. and you really wonder what techniques these manufacturers are using and what are the important attributes, mm. right? People, people want to breathe through it and uh, they got to wear it so they don't mind if it looks cool. But the question is, what is it doing with the particles? Because that's the whole purpose of it. Yeah. Right. The particular weave or something. Like yeah. That, and the material and the material type. But what was interesting is the page you just came from, I saw a guy saying, don't buy it. Uh, if you go back, don't buy the Adidas face mask. But I don't know, maybe that's amazing. We have face mask reviews on YouTube, whole segment now. But you should you can check out the article. They did the study. I'm sure it'll be disputed. Uh, the mask thing is it remains controversial, but I certainly believe that they're not all created equal. That mm -hmm. makes sense to me. Yep. Speaking of style and fashion and Adidas face masks, our last story of the day: four point three million dollars in fake Jordans and Yeezys were confiscated by U.S. Customs and Border Protection in Texas. That's a big shipment of sneakers, fake sneakers, uh, sort of knockoff sneakers. There's a huge market for this thing, Will. And these sneakers are quite valuable. The hot commodity right now, uh, limited edition Dior X Air Jordan 1. Can we get a price check on that? Uh, maybe uh, stock X price check on that. The specific, the 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 limited edition Dior X Air Jordan one. You could probably just do, do Dior Jordan, but I think you got it. No, maybe not. Dior Jordan, give it a search because those are just the suggestions. Oh, there it is. Woo! The Woo! high top or what? In the picture, I see the low top, but click on the high top just for fun. Okay. Because it looks like it's a few more bucks. Woo! Wow. So that's 14 grand Canadian. $14,000 Canadian for this sneaker. And uh, that, for those that are wondering, I guess that's about 10 grand USD. Sheesh. No wonder people want fake ones. Imagine wearing that thing around. I don't like. What do you even? You don't wear it, I guess. It's it, a collector's item. If you get that, you wear it to some kind of red carpet event or fancy dinner, and you put it away right after. Yeah. It never touches pavement, yeah. <laughs> or it does, or you are you're uh, bawling out of control, as they would say, and and you wear this sneaker and you beat it up and then you throw it out at the end. That's what I would do. Yeah, you just enjoy all twelve thousand or fourteen thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars worth of it. I wonder if our, our our pal Brad Hall can get his hands on these. I feel like he should. Yeah, he should. That would be an incredible video. I would want to watch it. Just, I mean, the the, the scale, the scope of it. Fifteen thousand dollar sneaker. We could do it together, Brad. Uh, I know we haven't done a video in a while. We've done some collabs. Uh, you could come. You could come to Toronto. Why is that one different, by the way? The oh, size. the size affects it, right? Whoa, a size five. <laughs> size five, 43,000. It's that rare for the females, I guess. 
anyway, yeah, Brad Hall, you could come up to uh, Unbox Therapy headquarters and we could do a collab. We can unbox what whatever the ten thousand dollar Jordan One retro Dior and uh, smell it. We can smell it. Whatever it, mm. the, the I'm sure the smell is a big part of the price. Caress it. Uh, yes. Oh. Uh, inspect it and all the rest of it. So they seized 1,800 pairs. So you do the math on that. It's not hard to get to 4.3 million. They say, actually at 2,000 a pop, they say it's worth upwards of 4.3 million. Maybe the fake ones still sell for a hefty price tag. There are also some Yeezys in this particular batch. And uh, this sort of scheme, they've done it before. Apparently, previously, they seized a $37 million. Oh, no. Apologies for that. The $37 million represents the size of the counterfeit shoe market in 2019, or at least what they guess it's worth. And it's definitely not all seized. A lot of it has en ended up on people's feet, and they're wearing them around right now. Yeah. <laughs> but they're just guessing what the value is. These were apparently destined for Mexico, which makes me wonder why they had to hit Texas first. They came from China originally, presumably, but they were on their way to Mexico. And I guess the, the owners of that merchandise are uh, obviously not very happy, but the owners of these brands and owners of the authentic versions of these shoes, presumably happy. Yeah. Because these are off the street. What happens to them? They get burned? What happens to them? Do the police officers get to uh, upgrade their look. <laughs> they wear them. <laughs> the entire uh, state of Texas police sh show up yeah. to all their calls with the Dior's on the feet. Yeah. Probably. Good times. Good times. Anyway, there you have it. You saw it all. We saw it all. Everything from <laughs> everything from $10,000 shoes to 120 times zoom on cameras to the political happenings of the middle of the world, the Western world, the Eastern world. That's why you watch the show. We do yeah. it all. We do as much as we can. And we always try 100%.